You're tuned into Bar Crow Radio, and it is Presidential Election Night 2020. We all are in the process of creating a new country. Let's call it the new United States of America. And folks, there's a sense, a strong sense, we're not in Kansas anymore. But what's this? I thought you were going along with me. Oh, no, no. I have to get to her right away. Better get under cover, Sylvester. There's a storm blowing up a whopper. Poor little kid. I hope she gets home all right. It's a twister. It's a twister. Kansas anymore. We must be over the rainbow. And yes, we uh, we must be over the rainbow with this bar crawl radio. It's election night. You know, I, I have a problem. What's that, sweetie? I have a this problem. is Rebecca McKean is with us. And Alina, our co-producer, is with us, and we have, uh, we're going to have quite a few visitors. Right now, uh, Lincoln Mitchell is with us, and I'm going to introduce him in a second, but Rebecca has a problem. I have a problem with this analogy. Yeah. So this over the rainbow that you're talking about is where we could be if yes, Biden no. is Once we get elected. through the storm, once we get through this, okay, but the thing it's going to be a bright future. This plays right into the other guy's hand, because the, she just wanted to go home. She just wanted to go back and have it the way it was. Just wanted to make Kansas great again. You wanted to make <laughs> that's right. <laughs> she just wanted to make so I'm gonna so 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 maybe it wasn't a great thing, but <laughs> I I just I thought it was an interesting idea that you know it's like for the last four years it's been so it's been a, such a strange world that we've been in. It's kind of an Aussie world, whatever whatever that is. And I'm looking for a time in the next you know who knows how long I'm going to live or any of us going to live. But in 10, 20 years, what, where are we going to be? And how much is this Trump thing going to hang on? Right. Well, I think it's got some staying power. I mean, not, even if he's not elected, even if he doesn't win, this, he's already done so much damage. And I just want to introduce uh, Lincoln Mitchell. We have a number of people that are going to be joining us tonight. I, um, I wanted to do an election night something because I, I remember four years ago, we all remember where we were. Lincoln, where were you? You I was were working out down the street, but then I came home when it started looking really bad. I just came home and sat in my yeah, place. yeah, and, and maybe started drinking, uh, <laughs> like 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 like, like we're doing my, tonight. 
Yeah, I mean, my kids were in high school at the time, and now they're in college, and they were pretty frightened, you know. So. Yeah, um, I I just didn't I did not want to sit in front of the TV and turn eight thirty and find out, you know, that that we're back in uh, Voldemort land. Um, I know all of the uh, predictions are seem to be going, you know, in a positive way, but uh, my stomach is turning right now just. Well, because everything was going in a positive way four years ago, too. I mean, I think we have to be frank. This is a much, much better polling scenario for Biden than for Clinton. We also should remember that the polls were right in 2016. One of the weird kind of misconceptions that took root was that the polls were wrong. The polls were right. What was wrong was the the projections, the analysts. But the raw data was pretty good. Um, And and Trump's an incumbent. I mean, I, I say this because, you know, as someone who tries to write articles and place articles. Everybody wanted the how is Trump going to win article this week, right? <laughs> Nobody wanted the boring guy coming on saying, hey, he's got 10 point lead, Biden will probably win. Yeah, right? he'll probably win, right. Well, yeah. it's a man, it's a guy to dog bites person story, but that's kind of what's happening here. And the other reason I say that is that, I had to say this delicately, but if Trump wins after a campaign of voter intimidation and voter suppression, we really have to, I mean, on the one hand, you can't just say if we lost, it's because it was stolen, but in this case, when he's publicly said, I'm going to steal the election for so long, that if he wins, you have to at least raise the question. Yes. Absolutely. And, and before we go on, let's introduce you. Oh, sorry, we, have, yeah. we haven't done that yet. <laughs> this is Lincoln Mitchell. Um, he was with us on Barcore Radio number 73 a while ago when he was talking about how Trump is not going to give up the office. And maybe we can get into that. Um, at the time, we were talking about his uh, new book, San Francisco Year Zero, Political upheaval, punk rock, and a third place baseball team. Oh, there it is. There it is. All right. All right. And, and we, 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 I have a copy of it here on my desk. Uh, a most readable um, um, uh, commentary on, on society and politics and sporting and about. Um, and the big year, 1978. Right. And about uh, those people that killed themselves down in. Uh, well, they, the Jones- James Jones. J- 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 uh, Jonestown. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. right. Lincoln Mitchell teaches at the political science at the Department of Columbia University. Uh, and you can follow him on Twitter at, at Lincoln Mitchell. Uh, and, I, and I just read your CNN opinion column, which came out in July on the Lincoln Project. Maybe we can talk about that. I guess that's just a coincidence, Lincoln Project. Lincoln. You know, I did get some mail from that. It's really great that you're doing this. Yeah. I think because people thought I wrote it because I was the Lincoln Project. Isn't this clever? I said, no, I, <laughs> it happened to, they were naming it after Abraham Lincoln. I'm a red diaper grandbaby. I was named after Abraham Lincoln. Well, it's interesting. CNN chose you to write that article, or is it something you just uh, sent to I them? I pitched it on them because I was really fascinated by the Lincoln, uh, Lincoln Project. Yeah. Um, so I, I pitched them on that because um, I'm fascinated when I listen to them because I want to keep asking, at what point did you take this position? Like you, a lot of these people, you were fine with the voter suppression in 2004, 8, and 12. You were fine with the racism until, I don't know, six months ago, a year ago, four years ago, whatever it is. So what, like, when did this stop being okay for you? And, you know, on the one hand, I recognize that not everyone in America agrees with me. In fact, almost nobody in America agrees with me. But I also recognize that that we have to have multi-party politics. So I like the idea of a rational conservative party. But I wonder what these people are up to, what their end game is, and that's what I was trying to probe in that article. The, the, oh, the, wow. the, the Lincoln Mitchell. I mean, one of the things that you had mentioned in it, and this is again a CNN article, came out in July 2020, uh, is that they could be, or they they might be placing themselves as the new Republican Party. 
Well, it would be called something different, but yes, this could be the kind of non-Trump Republican Party because a more recent CNN article, CNN article I wrote, basically said this is Trump. Trump's influence in this in the Republican Party will continue whether or not he wins this election. Right. So it's going to splinter, you think? Well, I think the problem or the, the challenge is this: if you are running for anything in the Republican Party in most states, particularly if you're looking at the presidential election down the line in 2024, assuming you know, whether or not Trump is reelected. Um, you have to go in front of a primary electorate that's pro-Trump. That's unlikely to change. The other thing is that tonight, it is likely that the Democrats will pick up seats in both houses of Congress. They may not win back control of the Senate, but they'll pick up some seats. And same with the House. If when that happens, when a party takes a hit, it's the moderates who lose because they're in the swing districts. So you will get a very pro-Trump caucus, even if it's a minority caucus in both houses. So Trumpism isn't going anywhere. Um, and and for rational conservatives, I mean, I was struck when, when Michael Bloomberg made this um, bizarre, egotistic run for the presidency. Um, but but Michael Bloomberg should have primaried Donald Trump because that's what a rational conservative party and conservative vision should be in 2020. Yeah, he was a beauty candidate for them. Yeah. He was, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, why not? I mean, my my prediction is that he's going to go to his natural place of comfort, which will be Fox News, and um, you know, get, get a, a pundit a pundit show and uh, Trump. Yeah, yeah. I think Trump's national place place of comfort here is a dacha outside of Moscow, and Putin's not going to give him a very good one. Yeah. Well, yeah, he may need it though if yeah. things no, I mean, come out. I mean that. I mean, that. I mean yeah. he is. He knows. I mean, you, you know. In, I first wrote that Trump won't leave office when he loses in 2017. And for the next two years, three, three years, really, it's February 2017, when I pitched that article, I was told I was crazy. I was being alarmist. Right. I was just, That's a main I, narrative now. When you first told yeah. us on Barbara Radio, I was Radio, shocked. We I was were going shocked. like, what? Yeah. Now it's conventional wisdom, right? Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. And the reason, and the New Yorker had a piece on it this week, was what, why, why Trump is afraid to lose, because he knows what's happening. And, and Trump... You know, he's 74 years old and not in great shape. Does he want to spend, although he is now immune to coronavirus and has Superman-like powers, but yeah. does, he, does he want to spend the rest of his life in a legal hassle or does he want to be in a dacha outside of Moscow, you know, where he can eat his well-done steak and he doesn't drink vodka, so drink Diet Coke. And I'm not going to go into the more sordid aspects of what that life might look like. For So I'm just, I want to ask a question. How will, what do you think, how will McConnell, um, what will he do if- Mitch McConnell. Yeah, if he stay, if Trump says I'm not leaving office, even if it's clear that he's lost, what do you think he's going to do? I wrote a blog about this today because I'm blogging this at a site called Brussels Morning, uh, which is a kind of a year. It's out of Brussels, but it's a it's kind of the American angle for European consumers. But I wrote a piece about that a while ago, and I wrote it again today. Um, McConnell, we know that the republic, the Vichy Republicans, have supported Trump at every turn. So tonight, what I would expect is that McConnell is quiet about this until the morning. And here's my concern. And again, I mean, we're, we're talking right before we're beginning to get results. We don't know exactly what's going to happen. This is a possible scenario, but it's not a crazy one. Trump declares victory in his manic way. McConnell, McCarthy, all these gates, all these little people are quiet about it. But by breakfast time tomorrow, they're saying, well, we really should look at these irregularities in Pennsylvania, Michigan, et cetera, et cetera. By lunchtime tomorrow, the media, and I'm not talking Fox News, I'm talking about the more rational arms, of, not the propaganda arm of the Republican Party, but the media begins to refer to the election as disputed. And I want to underline that word disputed, because if, that's, if, if Trump refuses to accept defeat and declares himself a winner because 
you know, he wants the game to be over in the sixth inning, not the ninth inning. He's not disputing the election. He's trying to steal it. But the problem with using the word disputed is in America, where do we resolve disputes? In the courts, which is exactly where Trump wants to get it. So that particular word kind of sticks in my craw a bit right now because this is not what Trump is doing is not disputing. He's trying to steal it if he does that. Okay, so but that doesn't answer what McConnell will do. Do you really think he's going to sit by? I mean, he's got everything he wants. McConnell should be really happy. He's got everything he wants, everything he went for. Now he's going to let this man take the Republican Party down and continue to take it well, down. Well, remember that McConnell also has some key Senate races, right? He he wants to what he what McConnell. The last thing on McConnell's to do list is to retain control of the Senate. So we don't quite know how that's going to go tonight. But McConnell also knows that a world where the Democrats control the Senate and the White House is not one that is particularly pleasant for him. There are, you know, this guy's guy is not so clean, right? And depending on the nature of what the transitional justice could look like, that could create real problems for Mitch McConnell. And if he picks a fight with Donald Trump, these people are, you know, he then becomes vulnerable in a primary. So so I just think that any line of thinking that that starts or ends with some Republican will do the right thing. We just we can't be fooled by that again. Right. These that's you know, I remember talking to people when the impeachment hearing started, you know, smart Democratic operatives and, and former office holders have been around for a long time saying, you know, no, some of these guys will break. The evidence is so clear. Right. And you know, Mitt Romney, whose vote they didn't need, broke. So McConnell, he's gone down this road pretty far with Donald Trump. He's not going to stop tonight. Lincoln, I want to introduce you to uh, Gina Cerrito. Uh, Gina, your, your, your mic is on, I, I think. Uh, she's a former entertainment producer at Fox News, uh, though she is a, not a conservative, right? Um, <laughs> covering the red carpet events, uh, helped produce Lifetime's uh, Intimate Portrait and MSNBC's Headline and Legends. And since 2006, she's been a a mother raising her family. Uh, is your mic on? I believe so. Can you hear me? That's yes, great. Yes. We we ha- I have a question ready. Who for do you, you support? I'm just curious. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Wait a minute. For one more thing, G- oh, Gina yeah. is a uh, is part of the News Broads, which is a podcast called News Broads with uh, Lynn White and Judy Licht. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just making uh, a joke, though, Alan. You know, I said, who does she support? You, you just have to look at her T-shirt. Oh. Says Biden. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I can't really hide it. Actually, we've done a couple podcasts about um, the fact that uh, journalists should be allowed to have their own opinion. They just can't bring it Absolutely. to their work. Absolutely. Yeah, so, uh, oh, we here, think they should bring it to their work. But Well, well you can wear the T-shirt as long as you're a podcaster. Oh, look, she has a drink. Good. Oh, you could. Radio. Radio. Cheers. 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 Radio. 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 There we go. There we go. Um, um, I was yeah, just I just wanted to say that uh, Lincoln Mitchell um, is uh, had just told us that he had a problem with the media's use of the word disputed, that the election is going to be disputed when, in fact, that's not really what it is. Um, is is media going to go to that word and say it's a disputed election when Trump says I won? And by clearly the way, he didn't. You know that you see there are lens here, too. Hi. Yeah, Lynn hey, was popping in as well. She's also part of the News Broads podcast. Right. Three-time Emmy award-winning journalist, That's worked awesome. on New York City television as anchor and reporter. Welcome. Right. Thank Welcome, you. Lynn, Lynn White. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Great to and be with you. So, so weigh in, ladies. What about that word? Disputed. No, is, is the media going to go in that direction? Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, you know, we, we struggle a lot with this, the idea that news and media has become more of a um, 
you know, trying to make money for ads rather than just getting the word out and, and where that line is and how that line's been blurred. And so when you throw out words like that, I think it's just adding to the drama and the intrigue into turning into some of these, um, especially more sens sensationalized um, outlets to continue to get people to, you know, continue to scroll through their news feeds and tune in all the time. And so um, where I think that there is an, an educated um, answer to what disputed means, I think that in real layman's terms right now, I think they're just trying to keep people interested as long as humanly possible. And I think that there's a fear that uh, when Trump if Trump, I should say, goes, that that is um, going to hurt their their news cycle and their bottom line. And I think that that's um, an interesting part of this election that uh, that the news broads like to to look into, because that's the journalistic integrity um, is, is something that we hold dear, but not every outlet does. Right. But but Lincoln says that disputed indicates that it's going to go to the courts. Oh, well, yeah, it does. Right. He's already said that he's already said, you know, he's picked his pick uh, in this newest Supreme Court justice and he wants her to basically work for him. He said that in other terms. So I think that's why we're all on edge about it. But I think Gina's right. I think, you know, the media plays a role in super hyping things, getting us interested. They do it because that's how they make their money. Um, is it good? Yes, it's better when we're all engaged. But then you can go too far where people start to get paranoid and they really do get hyper. I mean, how many of you are anxious right now about the results of this election? Yep. And I think the hand. media plays a huge part in that on purpose. So what should the media do differently? I mean, go ahead, Lincoln. Yeah, Lincoln. I, I'm not really comfortable saying the media is the reason I'm tense about the outcome of this election or that, you know, my mother in California, who really doesn't consume a lot of media, is tense about the outcome of this election. The media may have contributed to the rise of Donald Trump. I think that's pretty clear. But but nonetheless, we are on the cusp of an election where if Donald Trump wins, we will move towards either real civil unrest or the consolidation of authoritarian regime. And I think if you're not tense about that, there's something wrong with you. So so I'm a little hesitant to blame the media for that. I just want to clarify the point I was making about the word dispute is that we know that Trump wants to take it to the courts, right? But what he wants, what, what Trump needs is for the courts to remain legitimate in the eyes of the people. And if we keep hitting with this word dispute, they will be legitimate in the eyes of the people. Whereas if the media tells the truth, which is Donald Trump is having a tantrum because he lost the election. And you can maybe not have to use the word tantrum. You can find other ways oh, to I say like that. that word. But if you just say that, which is also kind of a great story. Like the president of the United States is having a tantrum. That's worth, that's good clickbait, you know? Yeah, but, but can I just say this about that? You, that's the way we in this environment here feel and believe. We read, we watch all media. But if you turn the channel to Fox News at the nine o'clock hour or the eight o'clock hour, all you hear is an hour long promo for why Joe Biden is bad and Donald Trump is the best thing that ever happened to America. And more people watch Fox than any other outlet no, I know that. in this country. So, right. but, but again, so media is all things now. It's but, I mean, entertainment I, I, I media and it's news media. Right. And, and, and Fox isn't media. Fox is propaganda. That's, that's but a, the that's people a, watching don't know but, that. Right. But they don't see it no, that but way. No one, that's, that's what propaganda works, right? But, right. But what I'm saying here, I'm not talking about, I should have been clear. I don't care. I mean, Fox is their propaganda. We know what they're going to do, right? 
They're going to say this election was stolen from Donald Trump. They've been saying that already. Like, that's fine. Like, that's what they're going to do. Are you so sure he's going to lose? Because so many of us aren't. I mean, I know, think about I think, it. Um, I mean, let me. Voter suppression. The odds are that that some other country is trying to hack us right now and we don't know it. I mean, seriously, do we? No, really I'm not sure. I'm not sure of anything. I am sure yeah. that he can't win a free and fair election. And right. if he wins by voter suppression or by someone hacking into the voting system, he hasn't won. He's stolen it. And that's I, and true, but America won't know that, right? Yeah, I'm not talking about who knows what, but but actually, I don't. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think there's a lot of people. The majority may not, but there's a lot. This isn't like some secret that the twelve of us have. There's a good forty odd percent of it. I mean, remember that Donald Trump is the most hate. I mean, I mean, he's despised by fifty plus percent of the people, right? I mean, I mean, we're not some secret club of Trump haters here. We're the majority, right? We're the majority. So, but. But he, I am pretty sure that he can't win in a free and fair election. And did I we am, even have that four years ago? Was it free? Was no, it fair? No, Most people no. believe no, right? And then it wasn't. Most of us believe no. And it didn't meet. And it didn't meet international standards, right? And so what's but, changed? We haven't changed well, anything. In fact, no, now just, he's I, saying I, he's totally, going to fire I, the head of the FBI, the head of the CIA. Yeah, I know. Look, I, gonna, I, I know. I know. I know. Nothing that I know. has changed. So well, why are we feeling secure that he's going to lose? Well, I will tell you. I will tell you. His polling numbers are much worse going into this election than Hillary Clinton's were. Much worse. And you can say the polls were wrong, but I, I'm pretty certain I spent more time staring at those polls than most people. <laughs> they were, and they were right. The scary thing about those polls was how right they were. Secondly, mm -hmm. we woke up this morning. It is very likely that there had already been more votes cast for Joe Biden than were cast for Hillary Clinton in 2016. Wow. Right. Mm -hmm. This is a different kind of election. Thirdly, there are large chunks of the population that are aware of what Russia did and are not as vulnerable to it. I'm not talking about a government policy because there was no government policy other than to encourage it, right? right? I'm talking about how people process information. Fourthly, 230,000 Americans are dead from coronavirus. And what that means is that two key constituencies that went for Trump in big numbers have moved away from Trump. Okay. But you know what? And, exit well, polls are out now, and, and the exit polls are showing that that's not really what most Americans who have voted believe. They believe that the number one issue, according to these exit polls, just heard on CNN, that the number one issue is the economy. On right. that, they think but he's the doing well. They also is, don't it, think that he was he did a bad job. But the economy the is pandemic. the economy is COVID, right? Yes, but they, they don't know that. Misleading because they don't disaggregate. Wait. So when a voter goes in and says, "I'm worried about the economy." What they also mean is, I'm worried about COVID, right? Is so it the exit polls from today, though? Is it just yes. today? From today. No, it's not just from today. The, 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 the methodology is They know what they're doing. I don't think we yeah. should. You know, the, the, these, these pollsters know what they're doing. So, but I, I think it is. And then, and then the other thing is that he is in, there was a big vote for Trump that was kind of blow it up, roll the dice, right? Yeah. That vote is gone. And I'll tell you something else that has been totally underreported uh, here. This is a very simple thing age replacement, right? Yes. yes. Many, many voters, unfortunately, not just COVID, but old age, whatever, have died. The majority yeah. of voters who have died because of just actuarial realities were Trump supporters. There are new voters coming into the electorate now, and the big majority of them are Biden supporters. If everyone, if not a single voter is persuaded, Biden wins this election on age replacement alone. But I will ask you this, and this is, I think there's a tendency to overcomplicate things here, right? Mm -hmm. But but the number, ask yourself this, which number is greater? Group A, people who said, you know what, I voted for Hillary Clinton 
in 2016. But I, I Trump, I like the cut of his jib now, and I'm voting for Trump. That's Group A or Group B that says, you know, I voted for Trump. I'm not making that mistake again. This time I'm with Clinton. There's not a shred of evidence that Group Biden. A is bigger than Group with Biden, right? That Group A is bigger than Group B, and Group B is probably bigger. When you take those, that has what changed. And those are big things. Now, will there be voter suppression? Of course. This is America, right? Will there be hijinks with the counting? Yes, of course. But but that if that cuts Biden leads in half, he still goes into this poll, this election with a bigger lead than Clinton had on Arab election, right? When now it's election day. Is it enough? Do you believe yeah. it's enough? It's enough for what? For what? For him for, to win. I, I really don't know how we operationalize the word win in that sentence, because there's yeah. a sentence of like, the question is, do I think it's enough for Joe Biden to have his hand on the Bible on January 20th? The answer to that question is, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Gina, okay. Gina, where do you weigh in here? Are you here? Well, you know, I think I, it's, it's interesting. It's, um, you know, as just a voter, as a human, as someone, and I think we talked about this in the other podcast that I grew up in Ohio in this really competitive swing state and people were, you know, crazy and back and forth. My father's a political scientist and so we really talked about this at nauseum. And it's interesting because I think there are so many things that, that people see as it must be. Um, my dad is also like you, Lincoln. He's a very big proponent of, of this um, age replacement and of these younger people that they're going to come in and, and save us. And um, it's interesting because I, I, I worry that it's not here yet. Right, right. That's my only worry. Yeah, and I'm not saying it is or it isn't. I, I feel that that's the way we're going. But these purple states are really making us sweat. I mean, they yeah. are. But, but I mean, here's here's go back to your media points. Right. Michigan and Wisconsin, Biden has a solid eight to 10 point lead. Right. It's it's not an interesting story to say that. I mean, the real story on the Rust Belt now is that the only way Trump wins is either through really massive polling error Polling error, and, and, and frankly, if you're going to say that a 10-point lead in the polls isn't solid because of the possibility of polling error, then stop reporting polls, right? right. I mean, at that point, you just don't believe if, – if the polls – you know, when I was in graduate school, one of my very good professors said in, in a, um, in a uh, statistics class, he said, never let data get in the way of a good theory, right? He was joking. <laughs> but, but that's kind of – if your theory is this is a close race and then you present data that shows that it isn't, then don't present the data. Because right. why are you presenting your data for next sentences? The poll says this, but don't believe the polls. Then why, then you're the news. Don't report the polls, right? So right. then go out and just report some MAGA guys in hats. But I'll tell you this. I've been getting photographs from Wisconsin all day and mm -hmm. reports from Wisconsin all day, Wisconsin and Michigan. Turn, no one's voting in Wisconsin today. That's what I'm hearing. They already voted, right? They, but who already voted? The, the Democrats. Biden voters. Right. The yes. Biden right. voters. The Trump why? voters. Why? Because they think their votes will be suppressed. Right. And but that's the, the good is, news. But the point is but Trump needs a big election a big day of vote to win and he's not getting it today in wisconsin in florida he actually is Florida's different. so Florida's different. yeah, yeah. And, and, okay, let me ask you a question because you're, you're you this is your you're pretty brilliant on this obviously if you have a state like florida that's within one or two points right if you have georgia which is the ultimate swing state it seems now a lot of which in is, georgia tonight. Yeah, yeah wouldn't you love that you have texas right which could be within a few points Given that uh, slim margin, right, where does it go? Does it go to the Republicans or the Democrats? In the past, it's always gone to the Republicans. Well, sure. This but, time, I mean, will it go to the Democrats? Well, I mean, 
You know, it's it's a funny thing. The Democrats have not won any close. Last Democrat who won a close race was 1976 because Obama and Clinton both won pretty handily both times. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you have to go state by state. Texas is I started out calling it fool's gold. I'm not sure I believe that anymore, but it's still not, it's not I don't think it's quite right for the, it's quite there quite yet. Yeah. It's yeah. Nice yeah. But it makes them sweat and that's good. It makes them sweat and it makes them spend money. Right. That's yeah. a good mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's hard to know, but, you know, there's there's two kind of trend lines here. The undecided voters tend to break for the challenger, right? Yeah. And that's what happened in 2016. And that's a big difference in this race, right? Mm-hmm. So that could help. You know, my sense is I don't think as if you ask me to predict each state, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get, I mean, other than the obvious ones, I'm not going to get it perfectly. But I mean, I know where New York's going, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah. <laughs> uh, no, duh. Well, let's group them together <laughs> because there are four kind of sunbelty states that also are reporting their numbers relatively early. And that's mm-hmm. Florida, North Carolina, Georgia, and Arizona, right? North Carolina is an hour later because they were late to get the polls open. Right. But it's still relatively early compared yeah, to- Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So I would say of those four states, if you ask me to say, you know, which lands in what column, the answer is I don't know. But yeah. I got a feeling Biden will carry two of them. Okay. You do. That's my very optimistic. Well, my guess is Biden's going to take North Carolina. And that guess is based on the fact that I lived there in 08 and I canvassed yeah. there. And when I, the people that, that voted for Trump were just, they, 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 they're moving forward. Everyone's moving forward in North Carolina. There's a lot of transplants from the East Coast, but everyone's moving forward. And it, it was a little too close, too far for their comfort especially for right. some of these single issue voters. And so they, they fell back a little, but I do, I think North Carolina is it, hands down going to be a blue state. I'm not saying it's going to win by a vast majority, right. but I think by easily it'll be blue. Okay. And Obama did carry that state. Didn't I know. You? So, but, but Trump needs to run the table on those states. Yeah. Biden wins yeah. two of those states. This is a very different election. And then mm-hmm. you go, to, I mean, the, the Rust Belt, I mean, Ohio, you know. That's you going to. You have better sense of Ohio than I did. I've canvassed yeah. in Ohio. My son goes to Oberlin, which may not be representative of all of Ohio, you right. know. Um, but so I don't have a good sense of it. But Ohio, I, I canvassed there in 2018, and I was told the thing about Ohio is it's whiter, older, and less educated than Michigan. So it's tough. I think Ohio stays in the Trump column. I actually worked there in 04 for Kerry as a volunteer. Right. I think Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. I mean, my younger my younger son, not the one who goes to Oberlin. He goes to school in Madison at the University of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and he just started. So, so I think this is here's an inside tip for why I think Biden is going to be carrying Wisconsin, is that Ruben, he's not here. Ruben, who's in Madison, and who got COVID because the bloody he made it through the worst of the pandemic here in New York. But the COVID deniers with no masks, one week into college, and he's got COVID. Right? Oh, how's he doing? He's fine. He's fine now. But he knows that he's not coming home for Thanksgiving until if, if Trump carries Wisconsin. So. Okay. So he has motivation. <laughs> All right, let, so let's, you're personally taking responsibility so he's the for that. One I like that. Carry the state okay, okay, okay. Listen, wait, 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 wait. We have a question. We've been, we, we, we've been doing a lot of punditry here about something that we're going to know about in the next two or three days. I mean, we're yeah, going to know the answer. Four more. Or four or five. But we're going to know that. But we're, we're going to be left. We're, we're going to be left here with this United States of America when we're That's done right. with this election whether it's, you know, Voldemort or, you know, or, or Biden. Um, and I, I think the, the question I'd like for you all to address is like, what kind of country we are? And let me, let me throw this in. The News Broads did a uh, program which they called The Virus, The Election, The Media, How Will It All uh, Turn Out with Robert Zimmerman, who's a Democratic... Uh, Not the uh, Robert Zimmerman. 
Yes. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, yes, but no. The, the political pun. No, I'm thinking, an operative. <laughs> I'm thinking yeah. Robert Zimmerman. There's only one Robert Zimmerman. That's him. <laughs> but he said in that podcast, he said, um, we're in as bad a place as we were during the Civil War. In the They're sense that we are a, what I got was, we are a split country. 46% of us, of the United States Indians, are for Trump and have been from, for Trump from the beginning and will continue to be from Trump until they breathe their last. Mm-hmm. Because yes. they think that way. Mm-hmm. That leaves, what, 54% that are not for Trump. Well, there's some undecided in there. And some undecided. We are a split How country. scary is that, by the way? How scary is that? Exactly. Why exactly. is that? Why is that? Just a quick point of clarification. I was talking about the Robert Zimmerman from Hibbings, Minnesota. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> you we know gotta too look much. up where he's from. Lincoln. I don't think so. Can so, someone explain what I'm talking about, talking about here? So, I mean, where, where are we? Are we in a civil war now? Because it seems I like think, in some ways we are. I, I think that <laughs> that's, we... That's dangerous. Those are, it's such, that's such a dangerous road to go down. I, you know, I don't think I, we ever got over the Civil War. I don't. When was this country right ever right. 100% united? It hasn't right. been. It never was. No, it, it never was. That way. It never was. It, 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 it's not in the DNA of the USA. It's just not. And there's so much resentment towards the other. And you have a president for four years, actually has been touting this for six years or, or more, who is telling that 46, 48%, whatever it really is, that it's okay to be racist, that it's okay to hate the other, that it's okay to make immigrants your enemy. How is that going to translate when you've got kids coming up now? Think of the four and five and six-year-olds that are coming up. How are they going to think when they're going through schools and they're seeing people of other colors with them? How are they going to react? So how do we live? the country for the worse in a way that we can never go back. So how do you know, we live? We with... never go back to the '60s when things shifted for a bit. And how do we live if if Trump is elected again and not be a, a splintered country? We will not have a democracy. Democracy I... could die this night. I think Those you're 100% my words. Right. I'm I'm out. I'm done. She's right. I'm with her 100. percent If I, we I, don't right. get it right she's now, right. And that's, it's done. And I think that's what's but, really hard about going down that road is that I think that we all don't want to say it because. You don't want to put that out there in the universe, but that that democracy could, and even in 2016, it 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 dimmed. Um, but you yeah. know, oh, it's out there. Really- it's out there. The rest of the world are considering that as well. They're 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 thinking uh, twice on whether they want to uh, make uh, American um, America the safe place for their their funds. You know, the dollar's going to die. When I put this program yes, together, is. I I wanted to be able to get through this night without wanting to kind of like shoot myself. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not feeling that. You and know I, what, though, from what let's talk about off. what Lincoln was saying, though, in the beginning, and he's talking about this age replacement, that if we really if, I mean, we are. If, that's why this night is so aggravating, because we're so close to a able to sit down and talk again. We're so close. And so that's why I mean, if this election was a year from now. It could be a totally different story, but it's we're just right at that line, which is why there's so much at stake. The, can the, I ask you this? I mean, in the past, if you study history, if you study um, great kingdoms, great countries, you know, great civilizations, there's always a turning point where they either live and evolve or they die. Right. We are right 
there. And I think that we don't we, we have taken democracy for granted. Instead of making it better, we have decided that we're comfortable where we are and we've not fixed what was broken until we fix it. Right. We're we're always going to be on the precipice of losing use, it. I think we have to use words like democracy very carefully. Right. Um, one of the things that I spend a lot of time my students who are smart enough that they get it in 20 minutes and it's been a lot of time, but is that <laughs> in America, we're taught to conflate the word constitutional with the word democratic. And there are elements of our constitution that are democratic, legitimate, the, the bill of rights. That's right, true. Some exceptions. The uh, House of Representatives is an extraordinary for that time democratic institution. And there are elements that really aren't, right? Uh, the Electoral College, the U.S. Senate, the Second Amendment, some of the parts of federalism, I could go on, but you get the point, right? And that conflict is intense because there are people in America who really believe that the Constitution was handed down to, you know, Jefferson and Madison Hamilton from on, by, on Mount Sinai. Right. And it, is, it is essentially a sacred document. Yeah. And then there are people in America who believe in a you know, notion of democracy and equality. And to some extent, our history is defined by that struggle. However, I would argue that from 1865 until 1864 to 2016, the curve was in the right direction sometimes agonizingly slowly. But there's no question that America in 2015 was a more democratic country than America in 1960, whatever. That's begun to reverse. And what yeah. tonight will determine is whether that reverse becomes institutionalized, pardon me, my landline, uh, becomes institutionalized or whether it's a hiccup. That's what's at stake here. But if it's the former, I agree, the country can't hold together because no. what we are doing tonight, if Trump wins and if the Senate goes in Republican hands, is institutionalizing minority rule. The founders spent a great deal of time worrying about majority rule. When we sit from the perspective of 2020, they got it completely wrong. Majority mm -hmm. rule isn't the threat. The majority voted for Hillary Clinton. The majority took back the House. It's minority rule. It's institutionalized minority rule by a faction which has evolved into a cult. Well, until you get rid of the Electoral College, gerrymandering, we and don't have a shot. Right. That's that's right. That, that's the struggle, because what you're saying is essentially until we have real democracy. Right. right. And what they're saying is, no, the Constitution was handed to us from God and we must honor it. And just coincidentally, it works. Well, very then well. Women wouldn't be able to vote, wouldn't be able that's to right. drive and, and black people would be slaves. Right. And, and right now of a human being. And so. even in the present, <laughs> even in the present, what the Constitution does is it institutionalizes that conservative rural white people have more power per capita than everybody else. And that's not what democracy is. But right. to change that, but then it, here's, here's the, more, the more difficult question, I think, is that we are a state, right? And you know, we, we, in political science terms, we're, we're a state. We're not a nation state. We're a multinational state, right? This isn't Japan. Right. So without that constitution, not even France, what holds us together? Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's a serious question. Can I because say, go on, I'm sorry. Because I don't like this term civil war when I talk to Americans, because Americans understand civil war as the blue versus the gray. You're on one side, my brother's on the other, and we shoot each other, which is a pretty horrible situation. But that's not what civil war is in the last half century. Civil mm -hmm. war is violence. It's chaotic. It's, it's, it's very localized, and nobody wins. So I prefer mm -hmm. to think in terms of civic breakdown or, or chaos or yeah. things like that. And that is where we could be heading, regardless of who wins tonight. The challenge for the for America going forward is how do you build this country? How do you, you know, how do you bring people together? How do you create a vision for America? An American, because right now there is 
So I was walking Wait, back from my doctor. Right now, we are, there's, the existential battle in America is between two bite. groups of people. One group has a vision of a diverse, pluralist America where mm -hmm. everyone is equal, regardless of uh, where they came from, regardless of the color of the skin, how or if they worship, regardless of, of whether they uh, are, 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 are gay or transgender or lesbian or straight or whatever, right? Regardless of their religion. That is one vision of a pluralist America. Everyone's equal political rights, regardless of all those things. That's one vision. Mm -hmm. There's another vision, which is if you are white, straight, and Christian, you are, you are an A citizen and everyone else is a B citizen. But the, here's the deal. And talking about media, the deal is this, that right now, the people with power, the people with the money are the people who believe in the latter. The, when you yes, get in your car in, in most of America, the majority of America, the first thing you turn on is Rush Limbaugh. When you watch your TV, what's in your face? Again, it's Fox News Channel. Locally, in most of the states now in this country, it's Sinclair, Sinclair. Broadcasting. Yeah. No, you're so right. how I mean, do we have a shot? You I'm know, not saying it's easy. Us that or there's an easy they're solution. Telling us minority rule is what it has to be about because right. the other people are bad. Right, we are terrified. good. We're of God. They are not. They kill right. babies. <laughs> right, right, and and, and we're terrified. We're terrified of them. Here, I've, right. I've got I've got a solution, Lincoln. Here's yes. here, here, here's my solution. I'll, I'll I'll sum it up with a soundbite. That's from the that's from the West Wing. Oh yeah. So. Uh, I mean, part, part, maybe part of the solution is changing our imagination or going back to the imagination. I mean, the West Wing is pretty kind of an idea of what we should be if you're a liberal, right? I mean, that's if what made me feel good tonight was listening to that song and saying, oh, you know, President Barrett and, you know, maybe mm. we can go there. Maybe we could. We've, we've never actually been there, but, you know, uh, <laughs> we can dream, can't we? We, right? we can dream. And it's kind of what I want to do tonight and all, all i've been getting is kind of horror stories so let's so let's change the story let's look and see what if biden wins if what, biden wins there we go if? good question biden wins means that democracy is still a possibility it doesn't mean that it's the beginning not the end it doesn't it's mean the bri that. it's a bridge to a better democracy and what would that look like what would that look like mm-hmm Get rid of the electoral college number one. Again, get rid of gerrymandering. It's got to be majority rule or we're done. What about you the know? Supreme Court? Uh, constitutional amendments. Can't What's we gonna be term limits? Going to term be... limits. Instead of making a laundry list, because I think we're we come up with the same list. What I, my suggestion is this. We need Joe Biden should appoint a democracy czar. Ah. To take on Can you imagine how Fox would cover that? Oh my and God. I know, and I know who he should nominate for that. And I'm going to nominate her here because I think it's a really would be great for it. Is Stacey Abrams? Yes. Wow. Yes. Great. Yes. yes. Thought a lot about this issue. She's super smart. Yes. Charismatic. She's yes. all those things, and empower her to bring people together to come up with some recommendations and to make it bipartisan. But put someone who knows her stuff and gets it and is a real serious, nationally known figure in charge. So because what, and who's been victimized by this system, yeah, right? Exactly. And, and how does that get to it. the, how does that get out to the electorate? How does that get to Iowa you, and Idaho and- You, it's not, not in 20 minutes, right? It's you build a commission, time. you make real recommendations, you fight it outside the commission because there, there's gonna have to be some negotiation here, right? And, and, and you, because the first thing you have to do is to get the idea out that 
that, I mean, essentially, I don't want to, the radical thing is to get the idea out that America's not a democracy, right? But, but to get to more, more palatable language that there are structural problems in our democracy that threaten our, our prosperity and our national security. And if you can get, I mean, it is a threat to our national security that there is someone who, by a lot of measures, looks like a Kremlin stooge in the White House, right? That's, well, that's the way we think of it. That's not the way half of America thinks. I'm not talking it. about half of America now. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking. That, but to, how do you get the rest of them to come? No, what I'm saying you don't. You don't say what I just said, right? Right. <laughs> is, is is is? But but here's here's what I know for sure. You don't. You can't do it if you don't try. Yeah. You can't do it if you don't try smart. So I say, put someone smart in charge, but charge her with building consensus. So don't bring in a bunch of left-wing academics like me, for example, right? If Stacey Abrams called, a full disclosure, I'll take the call, obviously. But bring in people on both sides of the aisle. Bring in smart Oprah Winfrey. Bring in the guys from the Lincoln Project, right? Yeah. What's, and, what's and, the likelihood of that happening? You know, I, by the way, I feel like Stacey is the Oprah Winfrey of politics. Oprah doesn't want any part of it. Stacey, Michelle Obama... They are the future. You know, they can guide the way for that it, it, as far as the minority community. There's another point that I want to make about the minority community. Uh, again, according to exit polls, there are fewer minorities voting this year than in 2016. Fewer Latinos. Why is that? And does that hurt the Biden chance? Hmm. But we're talking about Biden winning, okay? Just uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, let's <laughs> stay on the sorry. Biden dream. I, I gotta ask yeah, the question. Stay on that dream. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I had. You know, I, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say um, this idea of this democracies are. I mean, it's um, it kind of blew my mind a little. I think that is such a. Um, it's not saying okay, we have the we have the Senate, we have this, we're gonna plow through this no gerrymandering no this it's it's making us feel as if we all have a voice and i think that's what we're missing in this country right so even if they took two of those years of his administration to put all these ideas together i think that's even just the be a beginning of a bridge to heal because this idea and and i do hate the word civil war as well but this idea of are we really four different countries or were we 50 different countries but that feeling like we had after 9-11 where we all felt like we were one is a feeling that people don't remember very well. And these young kids who are, I think, our future, they have their own way of seeing it. And I don't think that the, the rest of us see what they're seeing. And I think that as much as Stacey Abrams should, is, that's brilliant, I think we need some young people in there. I think we need some, Absolutely. you know, to, well, to come in. Is, is, but, but, but look, I mean, the commission, yeah, you should have people in their 20s. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, look, I mean, I'm just, I came over this like yesterday. I'm not, it's not like I really thought this through all that much, but I think. Uh, no, I'm helping out, you know. I'm just helping you. <laughs> the other thing I would say about gerrymandering is, is be very careful about gerrymandering because I'll tell you why. First of all, the way you fix gerrymandering is not through bipartisan commissions because no such thing exists, right? You have to rethink how our elections work more generally in terms of do we have multi single member districts, all of that. Also, remember just how much New York and California and Massachusetts are gerrymandered. I know. It's a huge, and if you're going to complain about Pennsylvania and Michigan, you have to recognize that a third of the vote in California is Republican and about seven eighths of the delegation is Democrats. Right. But is that fair? I don't care who, That's you know, what side you're on. Is it fair? I, I don't I, I don't think single mandate, single member districts are a smart way to organize a national legislature in general. But what mm -hmm. I'm saying is there are people in the Democratic Party who think it's the silver bullet. And 
And, you know, if you fix gerrymandering, you have to fix it everywhere. And it's and, right. and the, it's better way to do politics. But you but there's the problem is this. The whereas gerrymandering is absurd, I think, on its face. Right. There's no obvious solution. And when everyone some when, when people use the phrase nonpartisan as a way to get to a districts, what they're really saying is, I don't know. <laughs> it's not right. realistic. So mm-hmm. so there I mean, my my, my pet solution is multi vote, multi member districts. So the state of Michigan, instead of having 10, uh, 20, 18, whatever, drawn up into 18 districts, just we elect an 18 person slate. It's a and you it's a party list system and you vote for the party. We divide it up that way. That's that would solve the problem because, you know, and but that's just my point is there's a lot of ways. Right. Robert Dahl, the famous political scientist, wrote this book, How Democratic is the Constitution? He passed away. He was quite old, but he wrote in the early part of this century. And his one of his main arguments was, look, the people who the founders were really smart, but if you were building a house today, would you have someone do your wiring who'd never heard of electricity? Right. right? Put in your Ethernet cable who'd never heard of electricity. Of course not. We know a lot more, right? The, flaw, the fundamental flaw in our constitution is that people didn't really understand what political parties were going were gonna, to be so important for democracy. So um, if you look at this, uh, this uh, presidency of Donald Trump, our constitution tells us exactly what to do with a president like Donald Trump, which is impeach him. But it doesn't tell us anything to, about what to do when you have someone like Mitch McConnell, right? Right. There's it, the, the Voldemort. But but party has trumped. Party has divided what institutionally the Constitution sought to separate. Well, it, do you think that's because of the money in politics, Citizens United? Do you think that changed everything, or was well, it I always thus? The short answer to your question to the second half is absolutely it changed everything, and it changed it for the worse. But right. but the broader question is that that I mean I mean. Our political party system grew out of the the Civil War. And because of that, it was a quirk in our party system where our ruling class was divided between the two parties. So Mm -hmm. if you look at 30, 50 or 60 or 40, whatever, 1910, you had the old Southern plantation uh, wealth that still after the Civil War, regrouped after Reconstruction and put in the sharecropping system and continued to exploit worker, African-American workers right. and get very rich. They controlled the Democratic Party, even when right. FDR was in the White House. And the Republican leaders were the industrial powers in the North, in the North, right? So instead of like an English system where the Labor Party was really a socialist party and then the Tories were not, we had, we had the ruling class divided between the two parties and, and to a great extent the working class as well. And therefore partisanship was not perfectly was not well aligned with ideology mm-hmm. i would say beginning around roughly 1968 and, and culminating in 1994 that changed so now party and ideology reinforce itself and that's what our constitution is not prepared to handle citizens united makes it worse but citizens united makes everything worse right right they're all bought and paid for <laughs> sorry that's how you got a mcconnell and I don't... can i can i bring this maybe to uh to a much bigger picture, kind of pull pull the uh, camera way way back, and that and that is to say that we're a, a country that is either black or white. Or we're a racial country. We're a white supremacist country. We're based. Our economy has been based from the beginning of this country on the break between the white and black, um, uh, you know, uh, back and skin, and that that's who we are. And there is no way of getting around that. I mean, you said, you know, the party started with the Civil War. Well, that Civil War started at the beginning. 
Right. Um, and and, 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 and in fact, it started else? with the Native Americans. You know, it just yeah. it, it, that was the pogrom. That we never consider. I mean, that's kind of tucked somewhere in the annals of history that nobody talks about, but that was the original sin. They enslaved the Native Americans for a hundred years. The Native Americans knew the back roads and the back country, if you will, of America better than the uh, settlers did. So that's when they started bringing in Africans from Africa. I, I, I feel like history in this country is something that is not known as much as it needs to be in order for us to really wake up and see what's what's going on. And I think that it, you have a Donald Trump who wants to rewrite it. And again, if we get more of him, and I'm not going to say four more years, because he's already said 12, 14, right, 16, whatever, whatever he wants. Um, where Where's America then? What happens? To well, us? I propose he's not rewriting history. He's just emphasizing the history that's already there. But, but yeah. I, I, you know, elections we're always told is about the future, right? That's a cliche. This election, but, but this election is about the past. This election is very much the 1619 yeah. project versus the 1776 project. That's right. That's right. That's right. And um, and it's about I, I also believe it's about the educated and the uneducated or the unaware. There are so many of them in this country. Um, the dumbing of America. Why is this guy president? Because he was a reality TV star and people felt like he was a familiar face who made it in America and he could take them out of the, you know their own small in their minds places and make them as big and as wonderful and as well known um, as he was. He can't do that. He could never do that. He was never that. He's the Wizard of Oz. You know, he's the emperor with no clothes. But they still they're still clinging to his body even without clothes. They won't let him go. And my I question that's, that's that's some of it, Lynn. And I think that that's a lot of um, what I think a lot of what the liberals kind of um, kind of really see as these Trump supporters. But I'll tell you, I have a lot of suburban friends and all they care about is driving their huge SUVs and keeping their money for their kids to go to college, which they assume is going to be a million a year by the time their kids go to college. And I think those people are 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 playing on the fact that America thinks they're not the ones that are voting for him when in fact they are. Oh yeah. And One percent. I, are... really, I think that's really dangerous because I think that if we look at trying to change these people's minds or trying to show them the light, some of these people, they think the light they see is what is what they want. But, but Yeah. But, it's all about money, isn't it? But it is all about money, but, but mm -hmm. this is what to get to something we were talking about earlier. We, the five of us or six of us, I don't know who Jet, this other person is because it's all green, but those are the six of us in Harrison. So the seven of us might agree on most things, but we do, not all of America agrees with us, and that's fine. Like, we're never going to live in that country, and we probably wouldn't want to. The question is, could we get back to arguing about marginal tax rates, hmm. arguing about school budget, hmm. right, instead of what we have now? Right. Yeah. And you know what? That's interesting because a lot of that, Mitchell, we did a couple um, episodes on our podcast about the um, disintegration of local news and local newspapers. And that that is a huge problem because what's happening is that people aren't able to solve their problems in their communities anymore. And so they're turning to this national level. So instead of being frustrated with their mayor or uh, some, 
they take it on this complete, it's like calling the principal when all you needed to do was ask the janitor to come clean it up. You know, I mean, it's that idea and that mentality that um, I think a lot of things, if, if we're going to go into this, I, what I would tell the democracies are is that, that something needs to happen so that these local newspapers and these people that sit in on school boards and sit in on city council meetings um, are still there because that's a huge part of democracy. And and when that local media, what happened, as you described, what happens is, you know, Tip O'Neill famously said all politics is local. But in 2020, yep. the problem is all politics is national, right? Mm -hmm. So, right. I mean, I have a friend who is on the ballot. Uh, so if you're listening in Orange County, be sure to vote for Tiger Kennedy Cosmos. That is, in <laughs> fact, his real name for school board. <laughs> He's running for the school board in Orange County. It's a nonpartisan election, but he is um, he's a, a progressive Democrat and he's part of a slate. Um, but in that district, the school board meeting in the it actually went a little viral. I see you saw it on, on the social media because, you know, there was there was a movement to say, you know, no masks in the schools, no social distancing. Now, this is nobody in Orange County who has kids thinks this is a good idea. Right. right. But it's. It's, you know, you're on one side or the other and you cannot solve local problems that way. You can't even solve national problems that way. Right. But but so so whereas your friends who just want the low taxes and, you know, their 501, you know, their, their money to grow and to have their big SUVs, you know, they used to vote for George H.W. Bush or George right. W. Bush. And that was not. And those people who I you know voted against and worked against and contributed against and all of that, they weren't aggressively rolling back American democracy. They weren't moving it forward, but they weren't aggressively rolling it back. And and maybe that's what we have to live with. But but just to get back to there is going to be a challenge because, I mean, among the people whose names are bandied about is Don Jr. and Tucker Carlson leading that party in 2024. And that's, you know, that's just like Trump, but younger. Yep. Can I, can I ask, um, again, trying to kind of uh, get the broader view here, what made us so gosh darn angry in 2015, 2016. And may I posit that it was because we were running a woman for president. And that and the fact that we had a black man as president before. It was a years. backlash. Yeah, the pendulum. That's the backlash. So is that what those, are, those are the real Trump supporters. Those were the original Trump supporters. They couldn't the take it. They couldn't stand it. No, right. no, they couldn't. A woman... And and a it black didn't man process, before they that. could not process it. And then comes a woman, a strong but then, woman. But can I tell you something else about 2016 that is like the most boring thing imaginable? A 17-person primary with a first-past-the-vote system means it is going to be simply name recognition. If that field had been Trump and any three other serious candidates, Trump wouldn't have won. Hmm. He won. He did not start getting the majority of the Republican primary votes till very late in the game. And the reason was voters walked in. They couldn't cut through the noise about Cruz and Rubio and all these other lunatics. And they just Trump's the guy. He's the brand. And and once Trump, the 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 bizarre thing about 2016 that gets under under described is is that he won that primary because once he won that primary and 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 Gina, you, you touched on this. He got the Republican voters like those rich Republicans just voted for him as if he were Mitt Romney or George Bush. They just voted for him. And this number, we all kind of fetishized the white working class, but they didn't vote for Trump that much bigger numbers than they had for anybody else, uh, you know, other than Clinton. I mean, they just so. So while I think you're absolutely right in the analysis, it's also this quirky thing that he snuck through this Republican primary. You would let me say this. If you were had. Um, 
if you were had a, a, a group of a hundred of 50 friends or a hundred friends deciding where to go to dinner, right? And you put 17 different restaurants on a list, you know, pizza, Chinese food, Mexican food, Georgian food, whatever it was, right? And you'd said, we're just going to go to the one that will get the most votes. You would never decide that way, right? You'd have a ranking system. You'd have a caucus. You'd have a something. First past the post with 17 candidates is an absurd way to choose for a party to choose a nominee. And that's a question. question. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? You know, it's kind of something that that that's giving a lot of us um, post-traumatic stress (laughs) syndrome. 2016, how much of a part do you think that the Russians, Cambridge Analytica did play in shifting votes in America? And is there a percentage that's quantifiable? Is there um, is that still with us because that also has to be factored in and it hasn't been i do you really think trump won honestly the last time even in the primary again i think Um, i think you're making an extremely good point um and and i will answer with with regards to the general election more than the primary because the primary is just hard to get hard to really get a sense of the the my sense it's very hard to get data because you can't ask an exit poll did you vote this way because you fell for russian propaganda right that just right however if 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 i can make a sports analogy which i don't like to do but if you lose a a baseball game uh, by the score of seven six you can point to a hundred things that if they had gone the other way you would have won right and that's what i think here now there's a lot of reasons why Trump, you know, I'm using the word one in quotations, right, um, in 2016. And you can point to a lot of them. Okay, James Comey with that lunacy. Oh, right? my God. Right, um, right. Sexism against Hillary Clinton, right? Um, the, the Hillary Clinton deciding not to spend any time in Wisconsin, right? You can point to all of these things. And maybe 30th or 17th or 14th or whatever on that list you make in your head is Russian interference. But, it's, but even if it's only 15th, and I've heard people say, well, that's like the 10th biggest reason. It couldn't have mattered. In a race that close, it very well could have mattered. Mm-hmm. So, so if you ask me my, is there, can I really quantify it? I, I can't. Now, I will say this. What about the hubris of the Democratic Party, too? But there's another, there's millions of these reasons, right? But I will say this. I first started working on campaigns, passing out leaflets for George Moscone in 1975. If you read my book, you'll have a sense of who he is, right? What's I'm the name of it? George Moscone. That book is called San Francisco Year Zero. Um, I'm working on a biography of George Moscone. That'll be out in a few years. But I've been involved in a lot of campaigns, everything from city council to president in several different countries. I've studied politics my whole life. I know how campaigns work. It is, I will go to my grave believing that if Russia stays out of that race, Hillary Clinton wins. I do not have a doubt in my mind. I cannot prove it beyond a doubt in like right. a, on a mathematical sense. I do not have a doubt in my mind. So um, that given, what what's to say that's not happening right well, now? Let me finish one last thought on that. What mm-hmm. really frustrates me is that nobody wants to say that because if they say that, right, yeah. then we have to think about all of these things. Like, like right. there's a reason why so many people think Donald Trump is an illegitimate president. And right. we have to wrestle with that, right? But right. we just choose not to. And that's a bipartisan decision that was made in November of 2016, and it was the wrong bipartisan decision, in my view. Now, Which is why if Biden wins, there has to be a commission on what really happened. Because if we don't, that's the biggest broken toy in the room. Read the Mueller report. It's all right. there. Right? Exactly, right. So he, he did his work. I mean, I, I thought he, I didn't like his testimony, and I thought he didn't push, he, this idea that Congress do the right thing was absurd, but the, the, the investigation was pretty good. 
So what's to stop it from happening this year? The short answer is nothing. Um, that that it's it's we know that they're doing it again. Mm-hmm. But I, I believe that enough of the American people are going to see through it this time. And and the single biggest thing this time, the single biggest difference with regards to Russia this time is Bernie Sanders, right? Bernie Sanders, the Russia misinformation campaign, disinformation campaign was targeting Bernie's supporters. They fell for it. And that's why Bernie was a Russia, kept using the, was a Russia denier because it was, the egg was on his face. Mm-hmm. And at some point in March of 2020, Bernie Sanders, who is not a young man, I, and I don't know the guy, but I think this is what happened, looked, out, looked in the mirror and said, I do not want my obituary to say the guy who elected Donald Trump twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he has played a, and, and his conduct in this election has been so different than in 2016. And, and one of the things that has done is it has stopped his supporters who were targeted and fell for it the first time. But they're getting the message. I'm sure some are upset with Bernie, but they're getting the message from Bernie. It's not, we're not fooling around this time. We're yeah. with Biden. Now, you could say, was there a gender dynamic there with Bernie? Very likely, right? But so, so that's what I think is different this time. Well, I'm Again, gonna, the I'm, other thing me, is... Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was gonna, sorry, I was just... Go <laughs> on, go, go on, Jim. I was just going to say, I just got interrupted by one of my three children. And so I'm going to have to to peace out. But I wanted to say one last thing before I go, which is um, Lincoln, I want to read your book. And um, okay. <laughs> Lynn, I love that I have a podcast with you. But um, I just I love hearing this. And I think that or I hope that this next democracy czar who comes into play or whatever shape or form they decide um, if and when uh, Biden wins is that I really hope that these discussions happen more often and cross-generational because I think that we tend to sit in groups of eight people who all think generally the same, and we really need to be getting out and really talking to these people who who don't. Yes. Absolutely right. Absolutely. And we want to Love thank- working with you, Gina. And- Always the voice of reason and one of the smartest voices in the room. You are the best. I'll and- send your check in the mail, Lynn. <laughs> thank you from the news broads, Lynn White and Gina Cerrito and Lincoln Mitchell. Um, check him out at uh, Twitter on Lincoln, Lincoln Mitchell. Uh, we, we're not quite done. We have the world-renowned Puerto Rican um, expat uh, uh, poet here with us. Martin es- Martin Espada, his partner L- L- um, L- Lauren. L- Lauren Schmidt, and uh, I wanted to bring uh, Martin on. He um, yeah. wrote a poem that seems quite appropriate for for the time that we're in right now. Uh, Martin, are you there? I am here. Uh, can you see me? Can you hear me? Yeah, yes, we, we can see you. Can hear you. We've been having Very a um, a most interesting conversation about um, you know, uh, uh, punditry, about what's going on right now tonight, and about where we're going, where we've been, how we got where, where we, we are. we should go. We're looking for your view on, um, on this, this election. You wrote a poem just recently that, that deals with elections. Maybe you could uh, tell us a little bit ab- about it, and uh, then maybe you could read us for uh, let Let me say a little bit more about Martin. He's a, a world-renowned poet. Uh, tells the story of the Puerto Rican dis- dis- diaspora. He's an essayist, translator, editor, attorney, and he's dedicated much of his career to the pursuit of social justice. And and we've spoken before on Barcore Radio number 88, uh, and I'm, I'm so appreciative that you're with us tonight. And isn't he a professor as well? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. <laughs> is Lauren with us? 
Uh, well, actually, she's not. Uh, oh, okay. She's not feeling well, but I am oh. pinch hitting for her. Um, well, tell her we said but, hey. Uh, oh, hey, and uh, and I'm glad to be back. Um, and I'm glad to be back even under these circumstances um, coming coming down the proverbial home stretch. Indeed, um, I did uh, write a poem recently, if by recently you mean 12 years ago. Um, okay. Because it well, was recent poem. to me. I hadn't seen it. Yes, you hadn't <laughs> seen it, which is, uh, which is perfectly fine. Point of fact, most people in the world have not seen it. It's a poem that I think speaks to the moment. It's a poem whose meaning has changed over the years, which sometimes happens to poems that have been around for a while. Um, it's a poem I wrote um, right after uh, Barack Obama had been elected the first time in 2008. And um, I spend usually, uh, this year accepted, a lot of time on the road. And at that particular juncture, I happened to be in Rochester, New York. Uh, I just done a reading at Monroe Community College. And uh, the next day, um, I realized that I was not far away from the tomb of Frederick Douglass. And I, I went to visit the tomb of Frederick Douglass and discovered that indeed that tomb had been turned into an altar, uh, festooned with uh, all sorts of, uh, uh, all sorts of uh, symbolism um, all related to the fact that Barack Obama had been elected president of the United States only three days before. It, it was as if I was standing at the crossroads of history. And I began to contemplate what that meant, um, the, uh, the impossible, the unthinkable, the unimaginable. And, and here we are faced with another one of those historical crossroads in terms of the election we're looking at right now. Um, here we are uh, faced with uh, the, the reality that the civil war in this country never actually ended. Um, and so it's, it's worth reflecting not only on what happened in 2008, but what happened uh, in the days of Frederick Douglass. Um, so this is the, the poem that came out of it. And the ultimate message uh, is certainly a message of, uh, uh, of, of hope. Uh, it's called Litany at the Tomb of Frederick Douglass, Mount Hope Cemetery, Rochester, New York, November 7, 2008. This is the longitude and latitude of the impossible. This is the epicenter of the unthinkable. This is the crossroads of the unimaginable. The tomb of Frederick Douglass three days after the election. This is a world spinning away from the gravity of centuries where the grave of a fugitive slave has become an altar. This is the tomb of a man born as chattel who taught himself to read in secret, scraping the letters in his name with chalk on wood. Now, on the anvil flat stone, a campaign button fills the O in Douglas. The button says Obama. This is the tomb of a man in chains who left his fingerprints on the slave breaker's throat so the whip would never carve his back again. Now, a labor union t-shirt drapes itself across the stone offered up by a nurse, a janitor, a bus driver. A sticker on the sleeve says, I 
voted today. This is the tomb of a man who rolled his call to arms off the press, peering through spectacles at the abolitionist headline. Now a newspaper spreads above his dates of birth and death, the headline says, Obama wins. This is the stillness at the heart of the storm that began in the body of the first slave dragged aboard the first ship to America. Yellow leaves descend in waves, and the newspaper flutters on the tomb, like the sails Douglas saw in the bay, like the eyes of a slave closing to watch himself escape with the tide. Believers in spirits would see the pages trembling on the stone and say, look how the slave boy teaches himself to read. I say a prayer, the first in years, that here we bury what we call the impossible, the unthinkable, the unimaginable, now and forever. Amen. And I will, I will second that. Amen. How are you feeling right now, Martin? In this moment? Uh, I am feeling many things. I, I am feeling uh, hopeful and hopeless. I'm feeling angry and scared. I'm feeling um that uh that i i i i i want to believe in in who we are as a country i am afraid to believe in who we are as a country i believe we are at least two countries and very possibly many more um i want to believe in my own words I want to believe in the words I just read. Most of the time I do. I think um, I will, um, I, I hope the words in that poem are vindicated. And I think eventually they will be. I, it may not be tonight, it may not be tomorrow. It, it may not even be in this election, but um, Consider the alternative. The alternative, the alternative is truly unthinkable. You know, I, and when I when I reflect on what's happening right now in light of that poem, um, I mean, there are connections to be made. And, and on one level, yes, this is a poem about hope, but it's also a poem about history. And the history that keeps coming back to me is. Um, the history that's directly related to voter suppression. We are seeing, uh, obviously, I don't have to explain this, but we are seeing Republican voter suppression so brazen, so outrageous, so open that it boggles the mind. And yet perhaps it, with the perspective of history, it shouldn't surprise us at all. Um, comparisons are often made between Donald Trump and say Richard Nixon, when we reach back in our collective consciousness to find a comparable politician. I think we have to start comparing Donald Trump to the Southern segregationists 
who dominated um, that region of the country throughout the 20th century. I think we have to go back to George Wallace. I think we have to go back to Strom Thurmond. I think we have to go back to James Eastland. I think we have to go back to Theodore Bilbo, you know, the, the, the congressmen and, and the governors who successfully intimidated, repressed, and suppressed the black vote so completely in the Jim Crow South to see the, the, the equivalent mentality behind the attempts at voter suppression of black and brown people in this country today and even beyond, right? Yep. It's not a coincidence, I don't think, that we see so many Confederate flags at Donald Trump's rallies. We used to laugh when we saw that plethora of American flags um, at, uh, at uh, events where uh, Richard Nixon would hold forth or Ronald Reagan would hold forth or George Bush would hold forth. We used to, we used to say, look at these phony patriots. But those were the stars and stripes. And we for sure see the stars and stripes at, uh, at uh, rallies uh, uh, with Donald Trump today, but we also see so many Confederate flags and you don't have to be in the South to see them. I don't think it's a coincidence. Hey, thank you very much, Martine, for that, um, that sermon in a, in a sense. I, I've asked uh, the people in the room, we have a few people in the room. I see Lauren's with us, unless that's you. Well, yeah, uh, maybe she's just listening. Um, yeah. But um, there's some other people in the room. Uh, Jeff Bergman's here uh, from um, the uh, the group. Oh, God, I forgot the name of your group, Jeff. That's OK. Learn as protest. Learn as protest. Sure. Jeff yeah. wrote. And Jeff, Jeff um, reads um, literature at Trump Tower. Um, we're kind of uh, thank you very much, Jeff, for for joining us. We're kind of like um, bringing everything to a close here. But I wanted to ask the people who are in the room, who are willing to answer the same question that I just asked Martine, which is, how are you feeling right now? We're on the, we're on the cusp of a really important I mean, it's, 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 it's more election. than a hurricane. I mean, we're, we're in an existential place for this democracy, I, yes. I, I think I could say. Um, so what, what are you feeling? Jeff, if you'd like to go. Uh, sure. Thank you for having me. It, it's this is interesting to me because this is um, I visited with you guys, I think, a week before the lockdown took effect in New York in March. Right, uh, right, maybe right. It, it was right before. And I've been home ever since. Um, and I haven't actually been back to Trump Tower uh, much since then. So um, this is this is an, it been a, obviously a, a tumultuous time for all of us um, in this moment. I feel um, uncertain. Um, I feel optimistic. Uh, and maybe I'm using those words because Howard Zinn wrote this great piece in 2004 about the um, optimism of uncertainty. So maybe I'm stealing from him. But um, I, I think, you know, in this moment, I'm, I'm certainly hopeful. Um, and we, whatever the result is, I think, a great number of people who had been 
reticent to participate, um, reticent to advocate, and had not been in the middle of the, an activist lifestyle, have have stepped into one. And I'm hoping that, you know, more than maybe say buying a t-shirt that says resist, they actually do more than, you know, uh, making a small donation to act blue, they actually act blue, you know, that they find these ways to participate. And then that will continue no matter the result of the election. So that's where my hope and my optimism lies. Thank you, Jeff Bergman of Learners Protest. I see that Alina, I wanted to hear from you also. Alina was just been in Pennsylvania, putting out literature and all, and you've been sending back reports to us, uh, the voices of the people in Pennsylvania. How are you feeling? You know, I, uh, I just don't even feel like I can hope. I'm just like, my mode is just to like, think the absolute worst and then um, hope for the best. <laughs> so it's not a cheerful answer, but um, Are you yeah, getting that feeling I, from being out there in Pennsylvania? Yeah, I definitely think that's part of it because, you know, it's one thing living in our bubble. Um, but when you're in the hinterlands of Pennsylvania, where there's Trump signs everywhere and people with trucks flying their flags everywhere, it's just terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. I have to log off. I'm sorry. I got uh, uh, could, could okay. you just just a last word. How are you feeling? <sighs> I've I've been thinking about this day for a while and really trying to impress upon myself and others two things one today is not the end of a marathon it's the beginning of another one and today begins a period from now to february 1st that could be the most tumultuous in american history and i don't think anything's to be resolved today tomorrow next week um because if nothing else the transition period will be extraordinary so kind of check back in February 1st. Right now I'm just digging in. Like I've been telling people who uh, make sure you have some food in your house. Make sure if you have uh, some extra money that you can get some cash. And if you're healthy enough to go out in the street, be ready to go out in the street. Um, the other thing I'm feeling is that we have to process. We're used to seeing election night as, you know, one of three things happen. Either one Democrat wins, the Republican wins, or we go to bed not knowing and wake up the next morning and find out. And I'm not just talking about taking longer to find things out but there's a much much greater range of possible outcomes here than any recent election so you know there's a one in a hundred chance frankly that we have a tenement square style massacre in the united states oh, in the next God. month oh, now there's a 99 percent chance that we don't yeah. right there's a one in a hundred chance that donald trump is fleeing to the russian embassy within the next month 99 percent that he doesn't right i'm making these numbers up but you get the point yeah there's a real chance that this is not just this. This election could be a real democratic breakthrough where we begin to really ask some of the questions we've been talking about because they've been laid so bare by the last few years. So I'm feeling a mixture of abject terror and hope and uh, a little confidence um, and a little anger because I I recognize the uh, I mean, I, I, I guess I'm less sympathetic to those like I, I let me say this there's a lot of ways that americans rationalize racism and at the end of the day for me the notion that 47 percent of Americans are racist like that that doesn't surprise like i'm just gonna assume that my whole life hmm. and i'm a white guy you know 
So, so I am angry that there are people who would destroy this country because a black guy was present for eight years. There are people who are so stupid. They don't know what it means when they talk about civil war. They don't know what it means, how everyone loses civil wars in the 21st century. That angers me. So I'm a little bit angry. Right. Sorry. Uh, no, no, no. I hear you. I, I, I get it. I, I, I've been Bye, angry thank for, you, Lincoln. for years now. Yeah. All right. See you guys later. Thank, thank you very you. much, Lincoln Mitchell. Thank you. It was a blast. See you later. Right. We'll talk again. Right on. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Rebecca. Oh, I don't know. I feel um, very frightened. I can tell my physical feeling right now is I'm just sick to my stomach. Yeah. I'm just sick. And uh, exactly what that means, I don't know. I want to thank everybody. Thank you for getting me me through an hour and a half of election night 2020. I, uh, how many people are going to go look at their TVs now? I am. Yeah, Alina, you're going to look at your TV? I might turn the volume up now, yeah. Yeah, Jeff? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yes. I'm, 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 I'm scared. I'm yeah. scared, I'm yeah. scared, I'm scared. Yeah. It's a storm, it's a twister, it's a twister. And thanks for all our friends and family who've come just to listen. Right, thank you. We want to thank the, uh, the news broads, uh, Lynn White, uh, Gina Cerrito, and Jeff Bergman. Thank you for, for, for getting here and giving us your, your two cents at the end here. And Lincoln Mitchell, who has g- given us a whole treatise on, uh, I know. on this election I know. and uh, the history of it. We, we ought to take his class. And to Martine. Martine, uh, Martine, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, yeah, you're very, you're very welcome, both of you. And um, you know, uh, listen, I, I share all the feelings that people have articulated in the last few minutes. Uh, you know, let me just add that if if we did what we did 12 years ago, to elect uh, um, collectively to elect the first black man um, uh, president in the history of this country, then then we can do what needs to be done this time around. All right. Okay. I like that. And I think that's where we're going to bring this Barcrow Radio episode to an end. God bless all of us. God bless America. And um, let us come out of this tunnel and enter into a bright light and a bright new day. Thank you all. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. And while we're on the subject, I'd like to apologize to the American people. You see, I forgot that I was hired to do a job for you, and that was just a temp job at that. Forgot that I had 250 million people who were paying me to make their lives a little bit better, and I didn't live up to my part of the bargain. You see, I think there are certain things you should expect from your president. I ought to care more about you than I do about me. I ought to care about more about, I ought to care more about what's right than I do about what's popular. I, I ought to be willing to give up this whole thing for something I believe in. <laughs>